You're listening to the Boozeworks Podcast. This podcast is a service of Boozeworks Consulting, a full-service craft alcohol consulting firm. And now the host of the Boozeworks Podcast, Devin Mills. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Boozeworks Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Mills, and this is episode number four. Today, we're going to be uh, taking a little bit of inspiration from some current projects I have. We're going to be talking about cooling in breweries and how to design the cooling system. So basically, in breweries, we have four different types of cooling going on. We've got to crash the wort after boiling. We've got to keep those fermenters nice and chilly. We get to crash our fermenters when we're done fermenting. And then we got to keep our beer nice and cold during carbonation. So when we look at our fermenter, it's continuous load. We get the same thing for uh, keeping the beer cool and the bright. So those two loads, I like to model basically being continuous and at the same level. Obviously, you know, at night it's a little bit colder, so your cooling system doesn't have to work as hard. During the day it has to work a little bit harder, but generally you've got an HVAC system that kind of balances that load out and your building stays roughly the same temperature. One thing that does change during fermentation is how active your yeast are. Uh, obviously at the beginning of fermentation, they're putting out a lot more heat. When we get down near the end of fermentation, it kind of cools down a little bit. That being said, if you have multiple fermenters, it kind of averages out. So for today's example, I'm looking at a brewery that has five fermenters Four of the fermenters are in active fermentation, one of them is being crashed. Those four fermenters is enough to give us a very even load. One's going to be you know, near peak, one's going to be near the tail, two of them are going to be kind of average. And so it makes it real nice to sit down and look at what is the load on average during a fermentation. Now, obviously, if you're running one fermenter, that's not going to work for you. But the more fermenters you have, the closer your total load ends up at average per fermenter. When we talk about cooling, uh, the most important thing to talk about first is what is a BTU? And particularly, it's easy because it works out to one BTU will heat one pound of water one degree Fahrenheit. And so from that, we can do all kinds of really easy calculations to figure out how many BTUs we need to heat up and go you know, to do our boil. But for today, we're going to be talking about the cooling. So, you know, if we're moving from 212 down to 70 and we've got one pound of water, then it's real easy math for how many BTUs of cooling we need. Beer is heavier than water. It also doesn't have quite the same specific heat as water uh, due to the sugar and ethanol in there. We can ignore the effects of solid particulate matter as well as the alcohol and sugar. It's just easier to use what the specific gravity of your beer is rather than worried about all the individual components. Uh, there's not enough of them to really make a difference from water. So the start of fermentation, when we're doing our crash coming out of the boil kettle, we're going to be using original gravity. When we're doing our crash coming out of the fermenter, we'll be using final gravity. Actually, gravity doesn't matter that much uh, in the fermenter itself, and we'll walk through some of that kind of stuff. So starting off, we're going to talk about uh, the crash coming out of the boil kettle. Uh, let's say we're down at sea level, so we're looking at 212 degrees. We need to crash down to 70. So there's a couple of different ways we can design uh, these cold crash systems. We can have one big system. So this is talking about a glycol chiller that can pull all of those BTUs out and quickly. 
So if we're going to try to move from 212 down to 70, uh, let's say we're working with a 15 barrel system today. That means we need roughly 580,000 BTUs. If we're going to pull that out in one hour, which is a, a fairly normal crash time, we need a 48 ton chiller for that peak load just handling what's going on in that moment. Not a lot of people design systems that way because those chillers are so expensive and you're only going to be using it for one hour a day. Now, if you get up to the system where, you know, you're crashing 24 different fermenters each day, then obviously that load becomes continuous. It's a better investment. But why you would design a system that way is beyond me. What would most of us end up doing? So if we bring in 60 degree groundwater into our cold liquor tank, we heat it up to that 170 degrees after it goes through the exchange. We're going to need a, a fair bit of water. We'll need about 633 gallons. But since you're going to need a chiller kind of for general you know, stuff anyhow, especially when we start talking about doing our bright, sometimes it's easy to have that chiller and have it cool down the water in your cold liquor tank. Give you about 23 hours a day of uh, cooling the tank and then one hour of it filling the tank and then flushing it over to do your heat exchange. If you're able to do that, particularly if we're able to cool it down to about 45 degrees, then we need only about 557 gallons. So we're able to decrease the amount of water we're using. Since it's a 15-barrel system, we only need 465 gallons for the next day's fermentation. So we want to minimize how much over that 465 we're really using. Uh, that way the water, you know, some of it will get used for cleaning, but some of it's also going to get just straight dumped. In order to cool uh, the 557 gallons down to, you know, from 60 degree inlet water to 45 degrees that we're going to be storing at, takes about a 0.26 ton chiller. So about a quarter ton chiller to get that down to the temperature we're going to use the next day. That's a real easy system. Now in the fermenter, we basically have two sources of heat. We have the energy that our yeast are putting off doing the conversion of sugar to ethanol. And then we have the energy that the fermenter is absorbing from the room. Uh, in the vast majority of cases, our room temperature is going to be slightly hotter than what our actual desired fermentation temperature is. So even if we're saying that our room is 75, our fermenter is 70, we're going to see some absorption into the fermenter from the room. Now, I know the first thing everybody says is, oh, but my fermenter is jacketed. The glycol itself acts as an insulator for the fermenter. I don't need any additional insulation kind of coming in from, you know, to help with the heat coming in the room. And that's true. But the problem is your glycol itself is warmed up by the energy coming into the room, even if it isn't making it all the way into your fermenter. If it's a fully exterior jacketed tank, you're going to basically lose half the efficiency of your glycol. On the other hand, if you have, say, a uh, drop-in coil, which generally we only see that on really small systems or really big systems, then you're going to see the energy come into the room. While your glycol is more efficient, you're going to end up having to take out that energy. So with a traditional two-to-one fermenter, assuming the sides are fully jacketed, basically we have heat still coming in through the, the top and the bottom. And just with a sheet of metal, we're not really getting that much insulation. So through the top and the bottom, we're going to see about 54, 55 BTU an hour coming through. We're not going to see anything on the sides, but we're going to lose half the efficiency on our glycol. Then we got to look at what are the yeast doing? The easy way to do this math is we can say, okay, how much alcohol am I creating? Let's say we're fermenting, you know, to a 6% alcohol. That means we're going to create about 27.9 gallons of ethanol. Take the number of gallons of ethanol you're creating, multiply by 3,246. That's going to give you the total amount of energy given off by the yeast during the fermentation. Then all you need to do is divide by the number of hours of your fermentation. So in this case, we're saying five-day fermentations, 120 hours. That means on average, our yeast are giving off 754 BTU an hour. 
So when we look at the energy coming in from the room, add it with the energy the yeast are giving out, we end up absorbing basically 800, 810 BTU an hour. That's what our jackets need to overcome. We double that because, like I said, we're using that exterior jacket. So we need 1,617 BTU an hour, or about a 0.13 ton chiller per fermenter. Something to note here, kind of about the, the shape of our fermenters, it's actually a good thing, but kind of why it's working the way it is while we're talking about cooling. When we have a conical bottom, and particularly when those conical bottoms are independently jacketed, one of the main ways that heat moves through a fermenter is through convection. The hot liquid rises, the cold liquid falls, and we end up getting these kind of currents moving through our tank. Uh, when we combine that with the CO2 that the yeast are putting off, we actually get a very vigorous movement inside the fermenter. When we get down into the cone, though, first of all, we've typically got our cone cool enough that it's stopping the yeast activity. When the yeast drop to that point, we want to cool them off so they basically stay down there. Two things happen, though. When we're on that cone, now the cold liquid really can't get away. We lose the ability to create those convection cycles. And so generally speaking, the cold just gets there and stays cold. And then also, since we've shut off the yeast, we are losing the CO2 agitation as well. So the cold you put into your cone has a lot of trouble traveling up into your fermenter. Now, during active fermentation, this is great because we can have our plus or minus hot zone in the active fermentation and a cold zone below it. When yeast fall out of the active zone, they're basically shut off completely so they don't put out weird flavors. Where this causes a problem is during our next operation. If we're crashing in a fermenter, you can put so much energy into that cone that it can't move that energy up into the rest of the fermenter. Uh, this is where you can freeze it up. I've heard of it happening. I've never actually seen it happen. But the reason that happens is because we don't have the convection cycles. Uh, in the cylindrical portion of our fermenter, when it gets cold, those cold molecules are able to drop. In the cone, they don't really have any place to go. Um, you could kind of do the same thing if you had a dished bottom and had jacketed the dished bottom of your fermenter. It just kind of sits there and gets cold, and very slowly the cold works its way up from the bottom. Plus or minus, you can think of them from a cooling activity is very similar. So when we're cold crashing a fermenter, the, the big things going on here is we're going to be going from 70 degrees, our active fermentation temperature, down to about 40. This time we're going to use the final gravity. So it's the volume of our beer times its final gravity times 8.33 times 70 minus 40. So that gives us the weight of our beer times how many degrees Fahrenheit we want to move it. So for this 15-barrel system, we need 117,000 BTU. And we're going to say we're going to crash overnight. So that means we need about 1.22 tons of cooling to do this crash. If you wanted to do your crash over a longer period of time, say 24 hours, then you could cut that into about a third, end up with about 0.4 tons of cooling required. A lot of these numbers, you know, how fast do you want to get it done? The faster you get it done, the more money it costs. But at a certain point, sitting around and waiting costs you money too, so it's, it's a balancing act. When we're cold crashing a fermenter, and really any operations that we're trying to get a liquid under 45 degrees, uh, we can no longer use water as our cooling medium because the water is going to want to freeze up. Yes, I know water freezes at 32, but we start seeing some interesting tendencies, particularly directly on the cooling elements because those will always be colder than the total liquid level. Rules of thumb have you not using water below 40, 45 degrees, which is one reason in distilleries, hey, we don't really need to worry about using glycol chillers. We can use water all the time. But in breweries, especially when we're looking bright tanks and carbonation, 
we need to get down to 40, which really makes water inefficient. Another way we can use kind of a refrigerant and get away from water systems are the guys who are using cold rooms. So big refrigerated room. Now we're using uh, not glycol, but different refrigerants, or sometimes we're running a glycol chiller through a refrigerator to keep these rooms cold. But either way, it's a refrigerant, not a water system. Once we've got everything crashed down, we're transferred over to the bright. In the bright, we're coming in at 40. All we're trying to do is keep that temperature constant. So we don't really need to do a whole lot of active cooling. We don't need to deal with, you know, like say in the fermenter, the active energy being put off by the yeast. It's a fairly easy system. It's just, hey, we've got a tank. Heat is trying to come into this tank. The big difference, though, is we have a larger delta T between the liquid in our bright and the room. In the fermenter, we're 70 degrees against a 75-degree room. Now we're looking at 40 degrees against a 75-degree room. Uh, that bigger delta T across our tank walls ends up requiring more energy. So if we assumed that our bright tank was uninsulated, we would need about 3,830 BTU an hour in order to kind of remove the energy that's being brought in from the room. On the other hand, if we're able to insulate the tank, then we don't have as much energy coming in. It's mainly coming in through the top of the bottom of the tank. We assume, you know, a cylindrical bright about that same two to one ratio, then we need just under 900 BTU an hour. And most of that is coming in through the top and the bottom because our outside is jacketed. Actually, it's about half of that. And I've already doubled the numbers when I was writing up this example. So what does that really mean for us? So we've got five brights running, we've got four fermenters in active fermentation, we're crashing one fermenter, and then we've got our boil kettle going. We've kind of figured out, okay, how much energy do I need for each of these operations? But what do I need to go buy? So what we end up doing is we take our five brights, multiply it by the 897 BTU an hour they need. Then we take our four active fermenters, four times 1,617. That's our base load. And so that ends up giving us just under 11,000 BTU an hour. Uh, this is the load that we can consider going plus or minus 24 hours a day. Uh, we don't need to worry about scheduling it. It's just kind of always there. That works out to 0.91 tons. And at a minimum, you've got to have that just kind of sitting there. Then we've got two peak load cases. The first one is the crashing load coming off of the fermenter. So this is our eight-hour crash. In order to get that done, we need that 1.22 tons. Then we're going to need that quarter ton from earlier that we're kind of like a base load in that it's running 23 hours a day to cool down our cold liquor tank. But in reality, it all gets dumped at one time. And so it's easier to model it as a peak load. And so that quarter ton is running, you know, 22 hours a day. So when we add that all up, we take our 0.91 tons, then we add it to the 1.22 tons and the 0.26 tons, and we end up at 2.39 tons is our total chiller size. And then we need a 550-gallon cold liquor tank. So that's basically going to be our cold system for the brewery. We can plug that in. When we actually look at what the load's going on, it's about 65% utilization. Utilization is important to look at for two reasons. One, it gives you your potential for expansion. And two, it gives you kind of how hard you're using your equipment. If you get above 80% utilization, I start seeing more maintenance issues, uh, more parts breaking. And so I try to maintain equipment below about 80% utilization. So here with 65%, we've probably got the ability to add another fermenter, maybe another bright, and keep the system mostly happy. But we're going to have to start looking at timing of loads and that kind of thing. In the end, nobody's going to sell you that 2.39 ton chiller, so we're probably looking at buying a 3 ton chiller for the system, and that'll certainly give us that ability to add the extra bright and fermenter when expansion time comes. 
All right. I think that's a, a whole bunch of information kind of on how to size those chilling systems. If you have any questions, please let me know. Give us a rating on iTunes. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Booze Works podcast. If you have a topic or question you'd like us to focus on for a future podcast, send us an email to podcast at boozeworks.com. Happy crafting and cheers. Cheers.